This morning, we're going to continue in our study called Join the Team. And, and we're kind of working through the last few verses of Colossians chapter 4. As Paul is kind of winding this epistle down, he lists 10 names uh, of, of co-laborers and co-ministry leaders that are, that are with him in the ministry uh, at different points in time. And I want to read just Colossians 4, verses 7 through 11. We'll just kind of read the text. It's on the screen. You can follow along in your Bible if you brought it this morning. Paul writes and he says, All my state shall Tychicus declare unto you, who is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that he might know your estate and comfort your hearts, with Onesimus, so here's the second guy, with Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they shall make known unto you all things which are done here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you, and Marcus, sister's son to Barnabas, touching whom ye receive commandments, if, if he come unto you, receive him. And Jesus, which is called Justice, who are of the circumcision, so these are Jewish men, uh, these only are my fellow workers under the kingdom of God, which have been a comfort to me. And, and then if you were to read on, he mentions Epaphras and Luke and Demas and Nymphus and Archippus. And so, you know, I, I said early on, when we, when we got to this point in the scriptures, a lot of people you know, when they, especially when you get to the names, they just kind of blow through. Like, it's like, okay, well, those are people, and, you know, they lived a long time ago, and I don't really maybe, what, what can we learn, you know, from them? They're just people, and, and we have people, and so, but I, but I think God has some interesting things for us to learn through this study, because every word of God is important, and, and for whatever reason, God allowed these men and their, their names and their stories to be recorded in the scriptures, and, and so, Everything that's in the scripture is important. Every word is important. Every punctuation mark is important. And, and so we started this series a couple of weeks ago called Join the Team because Paul always had a team of people around him. He had a ministry team that, that ministered alongside of him. And, and these names are important. And, and your name is important. You know, we, we made the, the correlation that, that your name is important and you have relationships in ministry, hopefully, and I, I, I just want you to understand that you're valuable to God, you're valuable to his ministry, and, and as we go through these names, and we're, we're not going to take 10 weeks to go through these names, but we're going to learn some key principles about ministry relationships. And we started with Tychicus, you know, he's the first guy that's mentioned in Colossians 4, Paul said he's a beloved brother, he's a faithful minister, and he's a fellow servant in the Lord. And we kind of use those three points to talk about his ministry. He's also the guy that, that Paul entrusted, one of the men that Paul entrusted to take this letter to the Colossians from Rome to Colossae. So, so he was entrusted with the scriptures, so to speak, to, to take it to the intended audience. And then, and then last week you learned about Onesimus, and, and he's a great example of restoration because a guy that was an unprofitable servant all of a sudden receives the gospel and then he becomes profitable, not only to Paul, but he even comes profitable to Philemon, his, his master according to the flesh. And, and so there's a great picture of salvation. He had a great reputation. He was faithful and a beloved brother. And he also had right relation because he was, the Bible says he was one of you. And, and when Paul says that, Paul is just saying that Onesimus is just like you. He's on the same level playing field. He may have different gifts, different abilities, but he's just one of you. And he's also a Colossian. And, and, and for those Colossian believers, they needed to, to see a guy that had been transformed by the gospel. Here's a guy that was an unprofitable servant. He was a loser. 
you know, he, he somehow met Paul in prison, <laughs> and the guy got saved, and now God can use that guy for, for, for his own glory's sake. And that ought to be an encouragement to every one of us. Listen, all of us, uh, when we come face-to-face to face with the gospel, there's a transformation that takes place that makes us profitable for the kingdom of God. And, and it doesn't matter what our background is or how many mistakes we've made in life. When we meet Jesus, man, that's what adds value to us. It, it's because of him. And so we're two names in and we're a couple of weeks in. And, and so this morning, we're going to look at verse 10. And we're going to look at a guy named Aristarchus. And so I want to pray again, if you, if you would let me. Let me pray again because I need the Lord. <laughs> and uh, I need the Lord to teach us, not me teach us. And so let's pray, and then we'll study the scriptures together, and then we'll be done. Father, we love you, and I just want to thank you again for your word. Thank you for, uh, Lord, just what you, what you teach us through these portions of scripture. Thank you for the, the names and the people that are recorded eternally in your word. Uh, it, shows you, it shows us the value of relationship, and it also shows us that every person is important. And uh, Lord, today, help us to, as we study the life of Aristarchus, help us learn some principles that we can apply to our life, help us to be encouraged from his testimony, and we'll give you the glory for it. And we ask it all in Jesus' name, amen. Look at verse 10, and if ever there were uh, a J sermon, this is it, because we're not even going to use a whole verse, and we're going to preach for a full sermon out of this. Okay, so look at verse 10, Colossians 4 and verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner saluteth you. That's all we're going to talk about today. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. And so again, we want to just take this name and run it through the Bible and study every mention of this man named Aristarchus. And what we're going to, we're going to learn two key principles this morning about Aristarchus. Number one, we're going to see that he is a companion to the apostle Paul. We're going to learn about Aristarchus, the companion. And as, as you study the Bible, one of the key principles, and you can just jot this down, is the principle or the Bible study principle of the law of first mention. And so if you're studying a word or you're studying a phrase in the Bible, you want to you look to see where it's mentioned first in the Bible. And the first time that we're introduced to Aristarchus is Acts chapter 19 and verse 29. And this was when Paul was in Ephesus. And the Bible says that the whole city was filled with confusion, and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And, and there's a lot of things that we could talk about in Acts chapter 19. The ministry in Ephesus was being opposed significantly. Uh, the gospel was being absolutely combated against. But what we learn in Acts chapter 19 is that Aristarchus, along with this other guy named Gaius, were men of Macedonia, and they were Paul's companions in travel. And so, and so we're going to see a theme through this guy's life, that he, it's almost like everywhere Paul went, not always everywhere, but almost all the places that Paul went, this guy Aristarchus was with Paul. He was a companion to Paul in ministry and in travel. And, and, and the Bible says in Acts 19 that he was of the men of Macedonia. And, you know, we studied Acts for about a year and a half, so we don't have time to, to kind of go back to the, the historical things. But in Acts chapter 16, Paul was forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach in Asia. And so he, he even says that we weren't allowed to go to Bithynia. And in Acts chapter 16, Paul has this vision at night 
And it's this man of Macedonia saying, come over into Macedonia and to help us. And, and Macedonia is a region in, in Europe, okay? It's not Asia Minor, it's more in Europe. And it, it would have included cities like Philippi, for instance, okay? In Acts chapter 16, after Paul had this Macedonian vision, he goes to Philippi, and the Bible says in Acts 16 and verse 12 that Philippi was the chief city of that part of Macedonia. So I just want you to understand that Macedonia is a region full of different cities. Are we okay with that? Philippi is one of those cities, and, and you know that the Philippi, uh, excuse me, the Philippian uh, ministry was fruitful. They met a, a woman named Lydia in Philippi, a seller of purple. They also got imprisoned in Philippi, and that Philippian jailer was converted. You guys remember the story of the Philippian jailer? And then in Acts chapter 17, the Bible tells us that Paul and his team went into Thessalonica, and, and they were there only three Sabbath days journey. In other words, or, or three Sabbath days, excuse me. And so they, were, they went into Phil, excuse me, Philippi, they went into Thessalonica, which was also part of Macedonia, and they preached, and, and they were only there three Sabbaths. So in other words, they were only there for 15 to maybe 27 days, depending on what day they entered into the city. And again, man, the gospel had a tremendous effect in Thessalonica, but then they got ran out of the city because of opposition. There was persecution, there was opposition, the Jews moved with envy. Paul and Silas had to be smuggled out of the city at night. It was during this time in Thessalonica that God's word did such a work that this man named Aristarchus was, was impacted. As a matter of fact, when we get to Acts chapter 20 and verse 4, again, another mention of Aristarchus, we get a little more information. The Bible says, and there accompanied him into Asia, and this is talking about Paul's trip into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus. And, and so we learn from Acts 19 that, that Aristarchus was from the region of Macedonia. We learn from Acts chapter 20 that he's specifically from Thessalonica. And, and again, we learned in Acts chapter 17 that Paul was only in Thessalonica for three Sabbath day journey. Or, or, I keep saying three Sabbath day journey. He was only there for three Sabbath days total, anywhere from 15 to 27 days. And I just want to make the point, he was there for such a short time compared to his time in Corinth, compared to his time in Ephesus. And yet, because the Word of God does the work, even in a short period of time, he had lasting fruit. He had lasting fruit. And, and let me just ask us the question, you know, how much exposure have we had to God's Word? More than, than three Sabbaths, most of us, right? Uh, we've all had more than three Sabbaths exposure to God's Word, and it should have an impact on us in such a way that, 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 that man, we get on board with what God is doing. We get on board with the people that, that obviously God is moving through. This guy, Aristarchus, had to be in Thessalonica when Paul preached there, and then he was impacted so much in a short period of time. He said, I don't know where that guy's going. I want to go with him. And, and we see him as a companion of Paul all the way through the rest of the book of Acts. And so he's a companion. That word in your, in your, in your notes, I think I left you the root word, uh, Paul's companion in travel. The word companion really just comes from the root word keeping company with, right? to keep company with, a companion, a partaker with. And 
And the Bible tells us that first off, Aristarchus was a companion in travel, and, and that goes in your blank. Aristarchus is a companion in travel, and very quickly, Acts 19, we saw that already, Aristarchus is, is Paul's companion in travel. Acts chapter 20, we see as, as Paul is going into Asia, Aristarchus is with him. And if we go all the way to Acts chapter 27, when Paul is arrested and being transported to Rome to stand trial, well, there's a dude that's with him from, from Macedonia and from Thessalonica named Aristarchus. Even on the ship that's traveling to Rome to ultimately deliver Paul uh, to stand in judgment. It, it says in Acts 27 and verse 2, And entering into the ship of Adramatium, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And Paul, Luke is writing this, and he said, Hey, I just want to mention who's with us on this ship. Oh, Aristarchus is with us. And the next day, we touched down at Sidon, and Julius uh, courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends and refresh himself. And so at this point in Paul's ministry, and I know this morning's a little different because we're like running a lot of historical stuff to start with, but listen, Paul was a Roman prisoner. He had been arrested in Jerusalem. He was on a ship headed to Rome to stand in judgment. As you read further in Acts 27, there were 216 people on that ship because God counts every person as important. Luke was on that ship, and Aristarchus was on that ship, and he's called a friend of Paul, and he was able to refresh Paul. Can I just tell you that in ministry, we need companions. We need companionship. And we learn at this church that we should never do ministry alone, and one of the reasons we should never do ministry alone is because we need people to refresh us. We need friends in ministry. You need a friend in ministry. You need to not do ministry by yourself, and and, and Paul was probably at a low point being arrested and knowing that he's about to go face judgment and stand in a court and give an account. And, and yet there were people that God put in his life that were there as an encouragement and a companion to him. And, and so, you know, we can learn from Aristarchus that, that he was a companion in travel. He, he traveled with Paul on several missionary trips and ultimately even to, to Rome uh, where, he, where Paul was going to stand in judgment. The second thing that we learn about Aristarchus is that he was a companion in labor. He was a companion in the labor of the work of the Lord. And, and this is cool, man. You look at, at Philemon, verse 24, and again, all we do is just study where his name's mentioned in the Scripture. And the Bible says, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, and Lucas, my fellow, my fellow laborers. And listen, you need companionship in the work of the ministry. <laughs> I mean, you, you need people to go with you, and then you need people to work with you. And that's the point, you know. Um, Paul mentioned people by name that were companions in labor. He, he mentions this other guy in Philippians chapter 2 named Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor, in work. Uh, I, work I went yesterday to a friend's house in Hartzell and and. Uh, he's remodeling this, this farmhouse, and he's a dear friend of mine. I've known him many, many years. And he's out there working on this house. And, and if I wouldn't have shown up, he would have been out there by himself. But I showed up, and all of a sudden, because he had a companion in labor, we were able to get a lot more done because there were two of us working. And it's the same thing in ministry. 
We, we can try to do this thing on our own, but listen, if we'll appreciate the partnerships that God gives us, and if we'll work together against, instead of against each other, we'll actually see God bless the ministry. And, and we'll see encouragement in the ministry, and it's always more fun to do it together instead of doing it on your own. We, we need each other. We, we can't do it on our own. I can't do it on our own. And that's why I appreciate the fact that, man, there's people that can stand and preach. There's people that can stand and lead worship that aren't Cody. Because we have co-laborers in the ministry. That's a beautiful thing. And that, that's what God's showing us through Aristarchus. And then, and then lastly, we see that Aristarchus was a companion in tribulation. And, and I don't mean he's a companion in the tribulation, like, like he's going through the tribulation. But what I mean is, man, you need a friend in times of trouble. And, and you know, uh, we study Revelation and, and John the Apostle as he's writing this to the seven churches in Asia, uh, John writes, and he said in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9, I, John, who am also your brother and companion in tribulation. And, and listen, if you've ever been through difficulty in life or ministry, it's always good to have somebody with you. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's always good to have somebody that's got your back, somebody that you can pick up the phone and call and say, man, I need you praying for me. Or send a text message to and say, man, life is really tough this week. I need your help. Can you pray for me? Can you be here with me? That's what we need in ministry. And Aristarchus was that guy for Paul. Listen, he was there, he was there early on and he was a companion in travel. But when, when it went south for Paul and he's on the prison ship headed to Rome, the dude that's still with him is Aristarchus. He's a companion in tribulation. I mean, he's not just there in the good times of ministry, but he's there in the difficult times. And that's the kind of people that we need in our life. We need people like Aristarchus with us because companionship biblically is a powerful thing. It, it, it's a powerful thing in the body of Christ. And, and I, I'm going to segue to this point, and it may seem like a negative point, but it's really an encouraging point. Companionship in the Bible is so significant and so powerful within the body of Christ, that's why it's something that's to be withheld in church discipline. That's why it's something to be withheld when somebody is under church discipline. And again, the point of the message is not church discipline this morning, but I want to show you that, that God views companionship so significantly and so powerful in our life that when we backslide against God to the point that we're unrepentant and rebellious, God actually says that part of our discipline and the way he, he disciplines us as a Christian is the body is to withhold companionship to drive a person back to repentance. And, and we'll see that in just a second. Okay, so, so look at Psalm 119 and verse 63. The Bible says, the, the psalmist writes and he says, I am a companion of all them that fear thee. And of them that keep thy precepts. And, and the psalmist is just saying, man, the people I keep company with are the people that fear the Lord. And the people that I keep company with, that, that I, I count as companions, are people that keep God's word, God's precepts, okay? And then we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and, and, and Paul, you know, in 1 Corinthians 5, the Corinthian church had a problem. They had a lot of problems. Anybody in here got problems? Okay, we all have problems. We all got them. First Corinthians is a good book for us. 
one of the problems in that church was that there was open fornication going on. There was unrepentant, open fornication, and I'll leave it with that for the, for the audience in the room. And everybody knew about it, and nobody was addressing the issue. And, and so Paul writes, and he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, okay, listen, I've, I've written unto you not to keep company. If any man that's called a what? A brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one, no, not to what? Eat. And, and I, I, I'm not, again, teaching on church discipline this morning, but I'm teaching the principle that God says companionship in the body of Christ is so significant and so powerful and so needful that if somebody is a brother in Christ that's unrepentant in these areas, fornication, covetousness, he's an idolater, a railer, a drunkard, or an extortioner, we're not to keep company with him. Now you say, well, that doesn't sound very Christian. <laughs> it does sound really biblical. You see, you see God... God actually calls a body to withdraw company or companionship from brothers or sisters that walk disorderly. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6. Again, just to give you a second reference to this, because companionship is so powerful in the body of Christ, it's something that God uses in the area of church discipline. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye... And the ye is plural. Ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which ye have received of us. And again, I just, I'm just making the point. Aristarchus was a companion with Paul, and Paul needed his companionship. And God views it so significantly that, that who we keep company with determines the type of companionship we really will be rewarded with. Proverbs 13 and verse 20 says, He that walketh with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Proverbs 20 and verse 7, Whosoever keepeth the law is a wise son, but he that is a companion of riotous men shameth his father. Proverbs 29 and verse 3, Whosoever loveth wisdom rejoiceth his father, but he that keepeth company with harlots Spendeth his substance. Do you see how do you see how important companionship is to God? Do you also see how important it is to you and to, and to me and to our lives? And listen, the company that we keep it determines the company that we have. And, and God wants us to have men like Aristarchus in our life. God, God wants us to have godly relationships that are there in travel and in labor and in tribulation. Because that's the kind of company we need. And, and, and so, and the question is in your notes. Listen, who are you companion to? Uh, are you companion to those that fear God and to keep His word? Like, would other people say, you know what? Fill in the blank with your name. This guy is a companion to everybody that loves God and loves His word. Or are you a companion to the foolish, to the riotous, to the harlot? Who are you, who are you companion to? And then the second question is equally as important. Who are your companions in life and ministry? Listen, do you have a companion in travel? 
I mean, listen, there are people in this church, I could pick up the phone and say, look, man, here's where we need to go today. And they would just drop everything. And that's a scary thing that they would drop everything and say, okay, I'm going with you. Not knowing what we're going to get into. <laughs> they would just say, if you're going, I'm going. And that, that's, a, that's a weighty responsibility, right? But, but there are people in my life that are like that, and I'm thankful for that. And man, I feel like God needs us to go here and, and talk to this person or make this visit or take this ride. And listen, there are people that I can count on that I know I can count on. I'm thankful for that. I want to be that kind of person. Man, there's people that if they call me, there are, there are a handful of people, if they called and said, this is what I need you to do right now, I'm walking out that door and we're going because they need me, because I want to be that kind of friend in, in the ministry. Do you have a companion in travel? Do you have a companion in labor? So listen, if you're getting discipled or, or if you're discipling somebody, that person you're discipling or, or being discipled by, God put you together to work together. God, God put you together to do the work of the ministry together, not just to learn lessons. And I'm thankful that we learn lessons, but we're both called to plow in the field. If we'll partner together, we can see God get more work accomplished through our relationships. Does, does that make sense? It's not just that, man, we, we've done, done some lessons and now that's it. No, we're called to labor together in the ministry. And listen, we all need companions in tribulation. We need them because life is tough. If 2020 hadn't proven that, I don't know what else it can prove. Do you understand? We need companions in tribulation because this year, well, I'm not going to use the word I wanted to use. It's just been bad. <laughs> this is when we need true friends in the ministry. This is, this is when we need people that we, can, that we can lean on and cry on their shoulder. And Aristarchus was that kind of guy in Paul's life. Okay. And then let's quickly get to the last point so we can get through. But, but you know, Aristarchus was a great companion. And then, and then the second key thing I want to talk about Aristarchus is we're going to see Aristarchus the convict. Aristarchus the convict. Today's point's brought to you by the letter C. Because Paul says in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 10, he says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. And so, you know, every good Christian spends a little time in jail. You know, at least that's what we learn from the Bible. <laughs> i got to be careful when I say that. For the right reason. <laughs> and so, you know, the second thing that we learn about him is not only that was he, was he a companion to the Apostle Paul, but he actually spent time in prison with the Apostle Paul because he says he's my fellow prisoner. And listen, remember, the epistle from... Uh, the, this, uh, this Colossian epistle is being written by Paul from Rome. Now remember, who was on the boat with Paul going to Rome? Aristarchus. And, and listen, the guy that was arrested was not Aristarchus. The guy that was arrested was Paul. And now Paul has been in Rome. He's been under house arrest. He's been, you know, he, he's awaiting trial, but all the evidence has already been stacked against him. And now... For whatever reason, we find Aristarchus in prison with Paul. And, and so in your notes, the first point that we see about Aristarchus is that he's been sentenced. And, and for whatever reason, God doesn't give us the record of the specifics of what landed him in prison. So we don't have any record of any sermon that Aristarchus ever preached. We don't have any, any record of him going into a synagogue and, and like splitting the synagogue we don't have any record of, of any of that stuff. But listen, whatever he did, 
I guarantee you it had something to do with the gospel and, and his ministry relationship with Paul. You don't land in prison based on accusation. You land in prison based on evidence that's been weighed against you. And so here's the point. Listen, there was enough evidence to at least con- uh, accuse and arrest this dude for being, for being a, a, a fellow laborer in the ministry. Uh, there was enough evidence to, to actually land him in prison for being a, a Christian that was all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and listen, the question we got to ask ourselves is, is there enough evidence to actually convict us of being a Christian? Like, like, is there actually enough evidence that could be stacked against you, stacked against me, that would actually make us guilty of serving the Lord in such a way that the lost world would actually imprison you? That's kind of a crazy question. What kind of evidence would they bring to, to say, man, here's, here's all the evidence stacked against Jay, and because of what he's doing for the Lord, we don't like it, we're going to put him in prison. Uh, ugh, man. And here's the key point, and again, this is not to be negative, it's to challenge our faith. Look, most believers in the 21st century, they've made a profession of faith. But the reality is, in many of our lives, the, 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 the reality is there's not a lot of proof of our faith. We, we've made a profession of faith, but there's not a lot of proof of our faith. And, and I'm telling you, Aristarchus had enough proof against him that it landed him in prison with Paul. We've got to have proof of our faith. We have to live out our faith in such a way that it is proof of who we are in Christ and what we really believe in front of other people. And, and, and hopefully we would say, you know what, there is some evidence stacked against me that would make me guilty of being a Christian. And the lost world may not agree with that, and the government may not agree with that, but at least they would be able to say, we're putting this guy in prison because of these reasons. You know, the Corinthians, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, one of the things that he challenged the Corinthian church was, he says, you need to prove who you are in Christ. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, For to this end also did I write, that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in how many things. So one of the ways that, that Paul challenged the Corinthian church was, he says, the, the proof's in the pudding. You've heard that statement. I never really understood that statement. Like I've eaten a lot of pudding in, in my days, especially as a kid. And I never came to the proof. Okay, so anyways, I don't, I don't know why I said that, but I never really understood that statement. The proof is in the pudding. But Paul says, listen, I want to know the proof of you. And the way you prove whether or not you're really listening to what, what Paul is telling them, he says, the way you know, I know that you're, you're really understanding what I'm saying is you're obedient in all things. That proves you really are who you say you are. And, and it proves you really believe what you believe. It, pr- it proves it. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 23 to 24, Paul writes again to the Corinthians, and he says, uh, Whether any do inquire of Titus, he's my partner and my fellow helper concerning you, or our brethren be inquired of us, uh, they are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. Wherefore, show ye to them and before the churches the proof of your love and our boasting on your behalf. In other words, hey, Titus is coming to you. Don't just tell him you love him. Prove it. Prove it. That works in your marriage too, by the way. Right? Oh, baby, I love you so much. (laughs) Prove it! (laughs) 
here's a list of things I would like. Oh, get the checkbook out and go to town. Prove it. And isn't, it, isn't that really the, the reality of the Christian life? I mean, Paul, Paul kind of, again, uh, just over and over, the Corinthians, man, he, he, he challenged them to examine themselves, to prove their own selves, whether or not they were really in the faith. You've got to prove it. Paul said of Timothy, his, his apostle, or excuse me, his, his son in the faith, a pastor, Timothy, he said in, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 22, he says, but ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he hath served with me in the gospel. That's not just lip service. Paul is just saying, listen, you know that Timothy has proven himself. How did he prove himself? He proved himself through serving. He, he proved himself through, through serving with Paul in the gospel. It was proof. If they wanted to accuse Timothy of anything, they would have accused him of, that guy loves the Lord. He loves the Word of God, he loves preaching, he loves pastoring, he loves Paul. So here's all the evidence that's stacked against him. We can accuse him of being a Christian and we can imprison him if we want to. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul again writing to Timothy, his last epistle, he says, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. And so I just... I think it's worthy to, to say that Aristarchus proved his ministry so much that they used it against him and imprisoned him. So much so that he became a fellow prisoner with the Apostle Paul. So God help us to prove it, right? God help us to live in a way that, man, the evidence can be stacked against us. If anybody's going to accuse us of anything, it's the fact that we love the Lord, we love the ministry, we love our brothers in Christ, we love the Word of God, and we actually prove it through obedience. And if they're going to accuse us and, and, and be against us, let it be because of that. And, and, and then the next point is, and, and, and we, we learn from the Apostle Paul, and I think we see it through, through Aristarchus' life, that even though they were imprisoned... Paul never considered himself a prisoner of his circumstances. And Paul never considered himself a prisoner of Rome. But Paul always considered himself a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's an important thing to realize that our circumstances don't define us. Uh, being in prison in Rome, that doesn't define us. Uh, being a prisoner of Christ is what defines us. And again, I just want to hit this quickly and we'll move on. But every time that you see Paul talking about himself being a a prisoner. He never talks about his circumstances. He always says that I'm a prisoner, not of Rome, not because I got arrested, not because the Jews falsely accused me. I'm a prisoner of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 1, for this, Paul, this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord. You know, 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8, he says, listen, I I am, I am not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. And again, in Philemon, there's a couple of verses. And, and, I, and I just want to make the point. Paul, Aristarchus, they were never prisoners of their circumstances. Whatever our circumstances are in life, uh, this is a dark day for them. We have dark days in life and in ministry. We're never a prisoner of our circumstance. We're never a, a prisoner of the system. God's allowed it. 
and, 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 and we are just as effective in prison or out of prison. We're just as effective because God, God is using Paul to write these epistles from prison. I'm just telling you, there's no limit to what God can do. And so Aristarchus, man, he was sentenced as a convict because there was enough proof to land him in prison, and, and yet he's not a prisoner of his circumstances. And then the last point I want to make is this. He, he, he saluted the brethren at Colossae. He says, you know, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, saluteth you. And you say, what? The, so? What does that mean? Well, well the, the word saluteth or, or, or giving salutation means to greet or to bid, bid welcome. And, and we do that in our culture, right? Like, like if I'm going to, to visit someone that you know, you would say, hey, well, tell so-and-so I said hi, right? Or, 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 or in that context, hey, greet, greet so-and-so for me when you see them. That, that's what's happening here. And so listen, despite his sentence, and this is already in your notes, despite Aristarchus' sentence, he didn't lose his love for the brethren. Here's the point. When you're in prison... <laughs> Wouldn't it be really easy to have an inward focus and say, oh, pitiful me, oh, look at my circumstances, oh, oh look at my situation, oh, look, look what's wrongly happened to me, and yet, man, even in the midst of adversity and persecution, Aristarchus still had a heart and a love for the brethren. Hey, I see you're writing a letter over there, Paul. Tell him I said hi you know, type thing. I mean, that, that's kind of what's happening there. And, and, and listen, uh, and, and again, he's, he's writing to, to the Colossians, which are in Asia Minor. Aristarchus was with Paul in Acts chapter 20 in Asia Minor. There's a very good chance that Paul didn't make it to Colossae. Maybe Aristarchus did. I don't know. But he would have been familiar with the area. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 14, we know that we pass from death to life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. And again, I, I'm just showing us from Aristarchus' life. Man, he was a companion to Paul. He faced difficulty. He faced adversity. But he never lost his love for the brethren. He never lost his love for the brethren. We know that we passed from death to life because we love the brethren. And that's why some people need to do some examination because, because if there is no love for the brethren, there is no passing from death to life. There is no true salvation. There's no true conversion. You can't be saved and hate the body of Christ. You can't be saved and hate the brethren. You say, well, I just don't like the church people, man, but I love Jesus. That is a biblically impossible statement to make. I didn't say it wasn't a religious statement, but you cannot say, I love Jesus and, and hate the church. I love Jesus and hate the body of Christ. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. There's grace with the brethren. There's mercy with the brethren. There's compassion toward the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. <laughs> and I didn't say it. But it is true. John 13 and verse 35 says this, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one to another. And that's why there are some people that are saved but not disciples of Christ because they truly don't love the brethren. What's your point, Jay? My point is Aristarchus was both. 
Aristarchus was a believer in Christ, and he was a lover of the brethren. And in spite of his circumstances, he kept his focus outward instead of inward. He kept it outward instead of inward. And we need to be challenged from his life and his testimony. Life is tough. <laughs> Listen, man, we all, we all face persecution. We face difficulty. We face opposition. There are times where we, not, we may not be in a literal prison for our faith. But, man, the walls come closing in on us because this world and the flesh and the devil is always against us. And when the world begins to close in, we have to make sure we keep a right perspective like Aristarchus. Yeah, I'm in prison. I can't really control these circumstances. But tell the brothers, hi. Salute the brethren for me. I'm praying for them, man. Love them. Can't wait to see them. Hope, hope I can get sprung out of this jail cell so I can go see them and fellowship with them. And, and man, we just see an awesome dude. This dude. Can I use dude in a sermon? <laughs> we see an awesome man of God. <laughs> You know, you have like the most unpolished preacher ever. Ugh. Well, that, <laughs> he comes cut from the same cloth, man. He is just an awesome man of God that, that was a companion and lover of Paul. And I know he's a companion and lover of Christ. He's a companion and lover of the brethren. Man, what an amazing guy. And so, listen, in closing, I'm finishing early again. I'm making a bad habit of doing this. But ask yourself the question, listen, we have to examine ourselves. Listen, who are we companion to? Who are we companion to? Who, who, could, who could look at us and say, man, you know what? Oh, Joe Blow, man, I can count on him no matter what. If I pick up the phone and say, hey, we got to go here for the Lord's sake, for the ministry's sake, this guy, I know he's got my back. Who are we companion to? Who are your companions? And listen, it's hard for some of us. Listen, we get saved, we get in church. Some of us have walked with, with friends that were lost for a long time, and, and, and sometimes we do distance ourselves from those type of relationships and friendships. The problem is we never regain the right relationships in our life. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I'm not running with the bad crowd and the sinful people, and I'm not doing those things anymore. The problem is we don't replace the companionship in our life with new believers, with people that love God and love His Word. And, and we have to swing the opposite way so that we get the right relationships. And so number one, who are you companion to and who are your companions? And then number two, is there evidence of your faith? Could you, could you prove your faith? Could you be convicted, guilty in a court of law that you really are a lover of the Lord, a lover of his word, a lover of the ministry, a lover of the brethren? Listen, do you care for the brethren like Archippus did? Uh, listen, do you, do you care for the brethren no matter what your circumstances are? If not, why? What do you care about? The things of this world? <laughs> the things that don't matter? And again, man, you've heard my story and, and you've heard me share this, man. You know, God rocked my world in July when Brandon Smith died. And one of the things that he shed light on in my heart and life was the value of relationships. More than anything else, I have learned in the last two and a half, almost three months, that every person is important. Every relationship, every relationship that I have inside this body of believers, whether it's this church, other churches, other co-laborers in ministry, those relationships are important. They are absolutely essential to who we are in Christ. We are, we are a needy people, and God has put the people that we need right around us. We need them. We need each other. And we have to get to the point where 
like Paul, we have a team of people that we surround ourselves with. Not just for the ministry's sake. Yeah, we need to do the ministry together, but we personally need people that we can count on no matter what. Because dark days come. And if we find ourselves alone, somebody put, I think Brett Bartlett posted this this week. If we find ourselves alone in life and ministry, we, we had better make sure that God led us to that place that we're alone. And he, and he was pointing to Elijah in the cave. You know, Elijah went to the cave not because God pointed him there, but because he was running from God and running from his circumstances. And, and maybe there are times in our life where God does position us in a place of complete dependency upon him. But man, that's not forever because God's put us in a body and we need each other. And so I hope that's an encouragement to you uh, this morning. Let me pray. And I got to.